Hello and welcome to a sporting discussion, the podcast that aims to discuss sports of all sorts. I am Andrew Donison and I am joined by my pal in precision, AJ Mithin. Hello, AJ. Andrew, how are you? Well, thank you. This week, we're going to look at the NRL yet again, putting on its clown costume. We're going to celebrate Adelaide United and Leicester City's respective championships. And we'll ponder the question, is Melbourne really the sporting capital of the world? AJ, quiet. You're going to have your say later. I have some thoughts. You'll have, yes, we know you. As we always say, a discussion is two ways us here at ASD Stadium and you, the listeners. Get in contact with us via Twitter at ASD underscore podcast or facebook.com slash a sporting discussion so that we can make sure we're talking about issues that are of interest to you. First things first, we will have our topical recap brought to you proudly by Ultimate AFL Trivia. Daily questions and videos for AFL fans and fanatics. You can find them on Facebook. Search Ultimate AFL Trivia. Get in contact with them if you would like an AFL-themed trivia night run at your local club. AJ, what happened on the social medias this week? Well, looking backwards first, uh, you remember last week we spoke about whether the AFL should have a send-off rule or a sin-bin style arrangement. We did a uh, Twitter poll and the survey said Mm. 26% wanted a 10-minute sin-bin in the AFL, which was my choice. And Uh, and that's what is in the lower grades as well. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Sometimes it's 10 minutes, sometimes it's till the end of the quarter, but I'm not... Yeah, anyway, 21% called for a firm send-off, don't come back. Fair enough. 47%, your vast majority said they don't need either, so status quo. Yep. 6% who cares. You have to have the who cares in there. Yes. Now, uh, while that would overwhelmingly say 47% said don't need either... It also, if you add the first two, 47% said there needed to be some sort of discipline. Yeah, right. That's so interesting. The, the wonders of research. Yes, I, will, I think that there will be more discussion on that in the AFL sort of circles over the rest of this season and the off-season. I don't think anything will come of it. Nothing will come of it. We just need a few AFL players to do some horrifically dirty acts. Yes. And bring it all back. Yep. Stephen May went in about four, week, four more weeks. Looking at you. <laughs> now, moving on. For this week, uh, we asked on facebook.com slash discussion, is Melbourne the, really the sports capital of the world? And uh, this drew some quite passionate replies <laughs> from some of our listeners. I'm were, guessing they both live in Melbourne. Were you a little bit cheeky when you put it out there and may not have mentioned everything that happens in Melbourne, AJ? I deliberately left out the Australian Open just to see if anyone would notice. And notice they did. Yes. Some do care about tennis. Yes. Anyway, we were reminded about tennis and horse racing, uh, which for me is right up there with golf. And uh, also cricket World Cup. But we'll get to this a bit later on. This is just a, a flagging for later on. And before we reach that later on, it's time to run through some confirmations and corrections from last week. Andrew, what did you have? I had a very good friend of the show, DJ Bravo. He came to me in a dream and he said, Andrew, don't you worry, you are all clear this week. Now, I can't hear AJ. Oh, I'm sure that's coming. AJ, can I play our friend DJ Bravo? Were you all clear as well? Uh, 
Error wise, yes, I was all clear, but I do have one clarification. So oh, let's not spoil ourselves. No. DJ Bravo can only be brought out for a clean sheet. Uh, I just have to clarify about the pro boxing in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. It is it is going to be happening, um, but there was supposed to be a qualifying tournament um, for certain pro fighters to qualify to come through for the Olympics, but then it was going to be opened out to every professional fighter. So it's still up in the air about which fighters will actually be there. Right. Which okay. they need to sort out pretty quickly because we're in May and the Olympics are in June. And there already has been some people qualify. I was having a look today. So yeah. they've got to get onto it real quick. Yes. Now, AJ, we said in the introduction that the NRL have once again thrown on their clown suit. Do you want to talk me through that? Uh, Well, last week, what did we say? The NRL continually finds ways to shoot itself in the foot just when it starts to look professional. Yep. This week has been just... (laughs) Maybe we should have saved that for this week because just today... uh, What's today? Tuesday the 3rd. Tuesday the 3rd of May. 3rd of May. Parramatta Eels were slugged with a $1 million fine docked 12 premiership points, which is the equivalent of six wins, and five club officials have been told they must go for a <laughs> repeated for a series of repeated salary cap infringements that date back to 2013 and total almost $3 million. That seems like a lot. We talked about that a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. Now, the... Mainly around third-party arrangements. Yeah. Yeah. So the Canterbury Bulldogs and Melbourne Storm have been similarly uh, found guilty in recent years and they were made to play for zero premiership points. Well, Canterbury had 34 points taken, I think it was. They were top of the ladder at the time and were sent to the bottom with zero. Then they did win the premiership the next season. Melbourne Storm were stripped of two premierships uh, and weren't allowed to play for any premiership points during the 2011 season. No, sorry, for the remainder of the 2010 season. So it seems like it's a little bit out of whack with those by allowing them to be able to play, but there there is another issue that they need to deal with, isn't there? Well, yeah, NRL CEO Todd Greenberg um, said today he was asked why uh, they allow, Parramatta were allowed to play for points this year and he said that they realised that the punishment given to Melbourne in 2010 was uh, too too harsh. Okay. And Parramatta have found themselves, they remain at time of recording $570,000 over the salary cap. And Greenberg said unless they get that back to under the salary cap, they won't be able to play for any premiership points. So there is a possibility that they might play the rest of the season for no points unless they're able to offload some some of the players. Yeah, they need to lose two, two, maybe three fairly highly paid players. And uh, there's a couple that are signed for clubs next year. Junior Paolo, the front rower, is one of those. He's signed for the Canberra Raiders. Um, there's a couple of other uh, players as well that... Uh, uh, other teams are sounding out whether they can leave or not. But, yeah, all a bit messy. And it all depends on whether the other teams can fit those players in this year as well. So I think that that's a, a wait and see on that one. But we'll Para are in a little bit of strife this season. They've got to move really quickly. But one thing I think to note is that the Canterbury Bulldogs won the premiership the year after. And I think Melbourne Storm won the premiership the year after theirs as well. 
So, para, that's the thing. They've still got the players. Still got the well, players. Well, except for whoever they have to get rid of to well, stay under. Of some. Well, the Storm had to get rid of Inglis and uh, Michael Crocker and a couple of others. Yep. Anyway, yeah. And the other thing that the NRL has had a little bit of an issue with is their much vaunted bunker system. That seemed it to work. It was all going so well. Yes. It was all going so well. Everyone, all the, all the journos and all the reports were praising the bunker and how well it was put together and how, how it was providing clarity to the game earlier in the year around tries. But Because there's a number of camera angles that this central uh, refereeing, video refereeing position are able to access, which is much better than previously where they'd be in this cramped little box or sometimes out in the open to... You know, yeah, to be anyway, it was supposed to be a cold, dead eyed look at what was going on so that rational decisions could be made and everything would be okay. But as with all of these things, what's happened in the last couple of weeks? Teach Amanda and he will empty your pond, as they say. There's a little bit of uh, mission creep going on here with the bunker injecting itself into situations where it is not supposed to be injected. There. Meant to be ruling on, you know, whether whether there was obstruction, whether do they do they, do they have like a forward? there's a strict a uh, strict bunch of rules they're allowed to adjudicate on yep. forty yeah, like forty twenty kicks try no try yep. um, certain um, uh, obstruction plays and those sort of things when it, when it is a scoring play, but players are starting to take advantage of the fact that things are getting thrown up to the bunker, aren't they? Yeah, Benji Marshall, halfback for the St. George Illawarra Dragons, said during the week that players uh, know now that if they stay down, the video bunker will have a look at it. And so players are staying down when they don't need to after tackles, whether it's been a big tackle or not. And Jamie Lyon, who's the 5'8 for Manly, um, performed what's best described as a an elevated swan dive. A Frosby flop. Against the uh, North Queensland Cowboys last weekend, uh, which resulted in a penalty to Manly and a try being struck off for the Cowboys. And if you look at that footage, uh, there's no way... Well, A, he wasn't obstructed, but he knows the rules and he played them to the letter of the law. And because there's now so many camera angles available, the video ref was not going to miss it. Well, players have been staying down for quite a bit now in the NRL over the last couple of seasons but this knowing that the bunker is going to have a look at it whether they should or not is uh, is making it turning it into a game of uh, you know, uh, for all of the oh we're big big strong fellas and all that sort of thing guys are now staying down for the most innocuous of things or doing elaborate flops like we saw from Jamie Lyon and the worst case they just get a little bit more time to reset their defensive line worst yeah that's yeah. Uh, that's exactly right the worst case is they can set their defensive line the best case is they get a penalty or a try now, was there another one in the Raiders game over the weekend where there was a, a wall of men? Oh, I'm glad you brought that up and <laughs> I didn't because I was absolutely furious when this happened. Uh, uh, there's a rule brought in at the start of the year about uh, with field goals where mm. defenders aren't allowed to Sorry, attacking teams aren't allowed to set a wall in front of the field goal kicker. Makes sense. To stop defenders getting to them. But that's exactly what Penrith did on the weekend, uh, setting up two players um, to block Paul Vaughan, who was trying to come through and block the field goal. Whether he was going to get there or not, I guess is irrelevant because he was interfered with on the way through. Yeah, it's the same as the obstruction rule. Like, yeah, it doesn't basically. matter. You, might, you don't, know, don't know whether they were going to get there. But, but because that was a scoring play, that was sent to the, uh, to the bunker. 
And so obviously they would have seen that there was an illegal wall of men built and they would have said that doesn't well, count, the, wouldn't the wall, they? The wall of men also leaned slightly to the left to obstruct the path of Vaughan and while he, he was knocked over and it may have, he may have put a little bit of mayo on it, mm. uh, to the letter of the law that was a block and it was a wall of men. And... That was not turned turned over, was it? No, the ruling from the bunker was that there was a space that Vaughan could have gotten through, and that's completely at odds with what they're supposed to be ruling on. However, uh, the refs' manager, referees coach Tony Archer came out during the week and said that should have been a penalty to the Raiders. So the bunker has a lot of soul searching to do, and uh, a lot of things to think about to get right. Because there shouldn't be a situation with all of those cameras and all of those rules that the bunker is getting us a, uh, a ruling wrong. So let's hope that Tony Archer can whip them into shape. Andrew, we are celebrating two very, very, very unlikely football champions. It is incredible. The Adelaide United is a less incredible story than Leicester City, but it is completely and utterly incredible in and of itself, which Adelaide beat Western Sydney Wanderers 3-1 in the grand final. Now, they were, as we've discussed in the podcast previously, they were zero wins from eight matches. They Mm. were bottom of the table. (laughs) They were a rabble. And then they lost two more games for the rest of the season. 16 and 2, I think, for the rest of the season. Yeah, just yeah. dominated. They got into their, their home final. They played it not necessarily at their home ground because Hindmarsh Stadium is not big enough to hold the 50,000 people. The way that crowd was going, you could. there's no other way to think of it as an Adelaide's home ground. Oh, no doubt. But the... Was it Bruce Kamau opened mm. the scoring and then Isaias did one of... Isaias. Isaias had one of the most beautiful free kicks, just curled <laughs> it around the, the wall into the top left corner. Now, I'll give you a bit of a bit of regard here. You last week said that Isaias, you pronounced it Isaias yes. in your heathenness, uh, that would, be, would win the uh, Joe Marston medal for the best player on the field. That and is he correct. did. I, I didn't say that in the episode because when AJ asked who I thought was going to win the Johnny Warren medal, I thought erroneously that that was the best on ground in the grand final. <laughs> so I wrote up my little spiel as to why I thought Isaias was going to win it and then obviously realised the folly of what I had done. But it is written, so <laughs> I'm a genius. Uh, now... Western Sydney Wanderers coach Tony Povovich was in the oh. press over the last couple of days uh, not showing the grace he was renowned for on field. Sooking. Uh, in particular claiming that uh, Adelaide United weren't playing football. Please. That they were playing a lot of long balls and uh, uh, basically he broke out the cliches about long balls and uh, football uh, when you say another, your opposition playing long balls, you're basically saying they're playing ugly football and you're better than them. Well, and the funny thing is, the three goals were not 
as a result of long balls. They were a result of beautiful play. Yeah, and uh, the, the the third goal was uh, a product of two giveaways by Western Sydney Wanderers defenders. Yes, and that was Pablo Sanchez scored that last one. He scored nine goals for the season, seven of those coming on as the sub like he did in the final. <laughs> just one quick thing. Yes. Just for Popper, because I know he listens to the podcast. Uh, the stats after the game showed long balls, Western Sydney 63 and Adelaide United 56. That's true, but wasn't there also a stat that Western Sydney had a lot more passes? And I think that was where he was coming from. But it's like, if your passes aren't as efficient as, as Adelaide United's... Well, no, it's not that. Adelaide United went 1-0 up, Adelaide United went 2-0 up. You yeah. don't keep attacking, especially when, with the philosophy of Guillermo Amor as coach. Mm. You score, you stop them. You score again, you stop them. You keep stopping. So... Possession was always going to be on the team that's behind because they're attacking more. And Popovich doesn't really have much to sook about in terms of playing tactics and playing to the game because in the uh, the AFC champion game, when they were ahead, he put 75 players behind the ball and said, you're not getting through. So That second leg where they got the nil-all draw, the miraculous nil-all draw with some of the most horrific refereeing decisions I've ever seen. Yeah, anyway, there's nothing uh, – who re- who remembers who parked a bus or who remembers who lumped long balls down the field? All that we know is Adelaide United are holding the toilet seat firmly above their heads. Their first ever championship. They won the premiership by finishing on top of the ladder. They won the championship at their third attempt. Western Sydney Wanderers now are three-time losers, which might have something to do with Popper's sour grapes. <laughs> and nah, yeah. Nah, yeah. Yeah. Now – we said that Adelaide's was an unlikely story and Leicester City have just thrown up the most unlikely underdog, backs to the wall, whatever you want to call it, story in the history of world sport. Oh, uh, 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 I know you're prone to overreaction. Yeah, I am. But uh, I would put it on a par with Nottingham Forest. No, no, anyway, they were in the. But that's me. That was the non, not the non-professional era. There was nowhere near as much money being thrown around. I think you watch the movie. I believe in miracles because I'm sure in the, in the next couple of years there'll be uh, there'll be a Leicester City uh, run. But I put I put this down to Claudio Ranieri, the manager, who wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for a bit of. Uh, <laughs> What's the best way to put it? Pre-season frivolity. Pre-season frivolity from uh, the Leicester manager and a few of his players in Thailand at a house of ill repute. Um, uh, That ended up with that manager being fired. His name escapes me at the moment. And Claudio Ranieri was brought in and uh, known as the Tinker Man, somewhat uh, not begrudgingly, insultingly by the British press because when he coached Chelsea, he uh, uh, changed the lineup a lot to try and find his best match. Now, he's... His uh, managerial career, he's basically taken teams that are basket cases and built them to respectability. Uh, I think this is his first title. Um, I'll need to double check. But he's coached in all, all the big four. No, sorry, not the big four. No, no Germany. But uh, Italy, uh, Spain and England. Yep. Uh, yeah. And he has just basically won the the hearts of the the Leicester people as well. I saw some footage of him watching some interviews with these people and the people were asked, you know, what would you like to say to Claudio? And they were just effusive in their praise of, oh, what what you've done for not only this 
club, but this city, blah blah blah, and they were in tears, and he was in tears. He's like, oh, <laughs> well, he's oh, known he's nice. known for crying. He cried on the sidelines quite a bit, uh, especially at Chelsea. But when when it became obvious that he was going to be replaced by Jose Mourinho, they won some big games and yeah. achieved some good things, and he was in tears on the sideline quite a bit. Um, but he, oh, what he's he. Gets these results because he believes in his players and he's an incredible man, manager and tactician. He's um, probably one of the best managers in world football at identifying a player's talent and figuring out how to best apply it. Mm. And none more so than um, than Vardy in the – I'm not sure how many years ago this was – he so Jamie Vardy once spent half a season being substituted after an hour of play at his non-league club, so he could <laughs> yeah. rush home and make the curfew on his electronic tag the result of a conviction for assault outside a pub. That's the best thing I've read this morning yeah. about the about Jamie, the ragtag bunch. Jamie Vardy's got a few other <laughs> things on his rap sheet as well. So he's you can uh, Ranieri's kept him in line. He's kept pulled the rest of the team in line. He's been incredibly canny about how he's used them. We've spoken about the tactics before, so we won't go into that again. Um, but one thing I would oh, I just want to mention and get on the record is that there's I've heard it a lot on the radio and all of the tweets and that that this is a rags tale that you know this is the one of the poorest clubs and you know how they how they managed to do it against Man United and their millions of pounds and all that sort of stuff. Well. It's not known or discussed very much, but Leicester are actually owned by a Thai businessman who has many, many, many billions with a B of dollars. Ah, Now, right. he poured millions upon millions upon millions of dollars into the back end of Leicester City. That's right. So, into like their training facilities and things training like that. Training facilities, identifying and recruiting uh, players, training players, all of that sort of stuff. And Ranieri himself has said that it made his jaw drop when he arrived at Leicester and he'd never seen anything like it. So, they haven't necessarily spent the money on the players, but as in their wages, but they've spent it in every other way to improve individual players. Yeah, improving, uh, their, improving their team, getting everything together, uh, working it all together, yeah. But anyway, so I don't buy the whole, oh, look at these poor little battlers part of this story, but what they have achieved on the field is just the remarkable doesn't describe it. Coming from 14th last year, when no team in the Premier League era has finished has finished outside of the top three in the year before they've won it. Now, Ranieri wasn't actually able to watch with his, uh, with his Leicester team because he was on a plane when Chelsea and Tottenham were playing and when they drew to all. Yep, he was going off to have lunch with his 96-year-old mother. <laughs> Bless. Long-founding arrangement. And did now, I seem to recall that he has uh, some sort of financial gain to be yeah, made. he worked. You could... Obviously, he had confidence in his abilities and he must have known that something was coming because he was brought in purely and simply to stave off relegation. Yes. And uh, he arranged a clause in his contract guarantee guarantee him £100,000. That's what, 350k Australian, give or take. Yeah, 250, 300. Uh, for every place his side finished above 18th. So, <laughs> so, so he's looking at about, what, an extra, what, 
in our money about three mil. Uh, a lot. A lot. But he also put in, oh, this is reputed, yeah. that he has a five million pound bonus in his contract for should he win the title, which he, has, which he just did. <laughs> so he won't be struggling for a while. And it's good because, like I said, he goes in and does all the hard work uh, clearing out the stables and you know picking out picking out which players are good and recruiting. He's the guy who brought Frank Lampard to Chelsea. Right. Uh, he brought a whole a lot of really good players across to every team he's been at. We were Roma, uh, Palmer, Inter, all of that. And um, he gets uh, he takes the clubs from shambolic situations mm. to almost winning, and then he's tended to be let go. And oh. they bring in the, someone like a Mourinho at Chelsea, like Abramovich did bringing him in at Chelsea. To finish off the job. To finish off the job because uh, Ranieri was, is seen as, I don't know, like a, you know, what's the word, funny uncle or something like that. You know, someone who's, you know, who... He's good for morale. Good for morale, does all that stuff. But his, tac- his tactical nous wasn't taken really seriously, especially in England. Oh, I'm pretty sure these tactical nous will be taken very seriously now. Yeah. On Saturday afternoon, your precious Hawthorne Hawks were absolutely obliterated, spifflicated by the Greater Western Sydney Giants. And later that night, the Gold Coast Suns were spifflicated, obliterated by my Geelong Cats. Now, these are two expansion teams that were given many, many millions of dollars, many, many allowances, many, many uh, picks in drafts, but they seem to be going in other directions quite rapidly. Tell us what's going on. Well, the Gold Coast came into the the AFL in 2011. So prior to that, they were given – they were in the TAC Cup and then they were in the VFL. They were given 2017-year-olds to, to go in the under-18 comp then they could get an extra bunch of 17-year-olds the following year. They got some zone access players and five rookie draft selections where they got some more mature bodies. But where they really sort of bulked up their list was the following year when they were able to access uncontracted AFL players. So they picked up Gary Ablett Jr. Could, Could you argue that this is where it all started to go wrong for them? It may have actually started to go wrong a little bit earlier because the very first player that they signed was Charlie Dixon and he has had some issues that have been reported. and it's reported not to be repeated here. And he is now no longer with the club. So, But you're right, that year they, they not only picked up Gary Ablett Jr., they picked up Michael Riscatelli. Now, there's a, a very good leader. Yeah, good, not great player. The other players that they picked up, Nathan Bock, Jared Brennan, Campbell Brown, Nathan Cracker, Josh Fraser and Jared Harbrow. Now, Fraser and Harbrow were good picks. Those other blokes. And they were all on a lot of money, weren't they? They were. They were because they, were, they had an extra Not million. as much as Carmichael Hunt, but a lot of money. Yes. That's, well, Carmichael Hunt was paid by the AFL outside of the salary cap. Uh, of course. And the, the Gold Coast, they had an extra million dollars in their salary cap for that year, which then went down to 800000 the following year and down 200 each year. So they had, yeah, an extra $2.8 million over a four-year period to pay for their players. 
they picked up some some very good players in the draft. They got David Swallow. They got Geelong's own Josh Caddy. They got Fremantle's own Harley Bennell. They got Carlton's own Daniel Gorringe. So well, there's also uh, uh, what's his name, Dion Prestia, who hasn't come on as much as they thought. Seb Tape, who hasn't come on as much as they thought either. Uh, I he mean, might be gone. They've, uh, I know Dion Prestia has had uh, some good times, but. It's injuries with that, that's impacted on Prestia and it's injuries that's impacted on Gold Coast over the last couple of years. So David Swallow, Gary Ablett Jr., Diego O'Meara and Dion Prestia were mm. all injured. They've all missed big time. Yeah. yeah. But the environment on the Gold Coast and what coach Guy McKenna was able to get out of those players was not necessarily the, the best for a young group. Well, it looked as though in late 2013, it looked as though they were getting it all together. Um, they strung quite a few wins together, took some big scalps. Um, but is it... Um, I kind of lean on the side to they got the wrong people to start with. They drafted... Oh, you, you have to say they drafted well because they couldn't have drafted poorly because they had like the first 20 picks or something ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just get the impression looking at, uh, as an outsider looking in, that the setup at GWS is a lot more... Uh, what's it, football focused? Yeah, and and it's conducive to young people who are just out of home to be able to be supported. So GWS, notwithstanding the the Gold Coast is a graveyard for Australian sporting teams, like the Gold Coast Rollers, the Gold Coast United. Yeah, so the GWS were given an extra five point eight million dollars salary cap over seven years, so they were given more money, and that's uh, to the tune of one million dollars in their first, second, and third years in the competition. And they're also paid a lot of money by the ACT government to play four games a year there for ten years. Yes, that is true. They've and with that money, they have pumped it into facilities. Yep, and yeah, well, they've set up basically their own suburb where yeah. uh, players can live and all of that. And the Nathan, players still choose to live in Bondi, though. <laughs> yes. And um, what's his name? Lambert from her, the former Brisbane and Craig. Richmond player, Craig Lambert. He and his wife were the host parents, basically, within that suburb. I think they took him from the Gold Coast. That would be funny. I'm, that would be I, very I, funny. I, I need to get that checked, but I'm 99% sure that Craig Lambert was working at the Gold Coast. Well, what the what the GWS Giants were able to do was with the uncontracted players that, that from other clubs they were able to get, they got leaders. So they got Phil Davis, they got Callan Ward, they got uh, James McDonald, Luke Power, Dean Brogan. They got Tom Scully. Now, there was a lot of hoo-ha about Scully because he was paid a truckload of money. He yeah, is... Purely for the money. If they'd paid him less money, no one would have batted an eyelid. Exactly. Tom Scully is in all-Australian form this year and is just a really, really good footballer. Yeah, at the time, these looked like fairly unsexy pickups compared to your Gary Ablett, your Jared Brennan, who was a fairly uh, flashy player for the Brisbane Lions. Yeah, that's right. And they've been mainstays. They they then bought in Joel Patful as well. Mm. So Phil Davis and Joel Patful hold down that uh, that backline. And Heath Shaw's there now at the moment as well. And he's been brilliant, hasn't he? Giving guidance and uh, structure in the backline. Stevie Jay's there this year as well. He's uh, been very good. And he has an incredible football brain, so he's teaching them as well. Leon Cameron, the coach, has been there and done it everywhere. Um, yeah. There's no there's no doubt about uh, what his credentials. And so they, they, they picked up a number of players that they almost 
were, I guess, planning on getting rid of some down yeah. the track. It was Adam Trelaw. <laughs> They they didn't do anything to, to try to keep him. They knew that they had some players that were a valuable commodity. Well, we've spoken about this before in the last couple of weeks. Um, no one seems to leave GWS uh, without the club wanting them to. Does that make sense? Yeah, so Tom Boyd. If they want to keep someone, they'll keep him. But they yep. seem to be happy enough to let people go if they don't want to be there. Exactly right. And they just had... They, again, it's an outsider's perspective, but they seem to have selected the right players. They seem to have then developed the players appropriately, provided that supportive environment. And the the results are showing. Obviously, Gold Coast have had their issues with injury, but it's more than that with the Gold Coast. There was a huge attitude problem there that Rodney Eade, when he walked in, he was just like, oh dear, what have I, what have I got myself in for? <laughs> and it's it's bearing fruit now. The Giants are the next big thing and Gold Coast are really struggling. So the Giants are in front because they have better recruiting, better setup, uh, better, well, we can say game plan at the moment. Yeah, better leadership better within leadership. the playing ranks. Yeah, and uh, is it fair to say better support from the AFL or is that a little bit unfair on Gold Coast? They certainly have received more support from the AFL. The Gold Coast received a, a truckload, but... GWS, an extra couple of million from the, the AFL, so... Well, let's see how this plays out across the rest of the year. Andrew, recently Melbourne was named winner, best large sports city in the 2016 Sports Business Ultimate Sports Cities Awards. Wow, that sounds exciting. I know, that sounds like a Japanese game show. (laughs) Super happy, fun, sports city award winner time. Good on Melbourne. Anyway, this led to a massive amount of backslapping and fervour from the Victorian government and Victorians alike. Now, one thing that they don't like to point out though is in the overall rankings, Victoria was actually third behind New York City and London. But we were the best large sports city winner, sports business ultimate. Well, fear not, because Melbourne was also awarded in those sports business ultimate, sports city, happy fun time awards, the ultimate sports city at 10 anniversary awards. So basically, let's call it sports city of the decade. Oh, good. go Melbourne. Now, the, Melbourne has been awarded either the winner or runner-up in the awards in the previous five editions. No mm-hmm. other city in the world has more professional sporting teams per head of population than Melbourne. So, Andrew, we asked the question. We asked the question to move into issue of the week: Is Melbourne actually the sporting capital of the world? I say yes. What do you say? Well, I say no. But mm. let's let's go first. What what what's the definition of a sporting city? The criteria Melbourne win this award, this regular award. Yep. That you have to nominate yourself for, by the way. But let's leave that out. Right. Uh, uh, Melbourne boasts a major event strategy that many other cities have since used as a best practice guide for their own strategies. Okay, tick. That's good. The city has sports venues that are not only the best in the world but that are in the heart of the city, fostering a greater sense of engagement with the general public and fans when events take place. Good. Uh, yeah, tick. Yeah. That's more luck than planning, but all right. A highly supportive government at local, regional and national level also means Melbourne offers a safe pair of hands to event organisers in a stunning setting. Now, I took that to mean you won't go broke because our government will pay for it. They're supportive, yes. (laughs) Supportive, (laughs) yes. So, Andrew, the question I ask you, and we also ask this on Facebook, 
are a few hundred AFL matches, a, f- a handful of NRL and Super Rugby games, one horse race, one Formula One race, a tennis grand slam, and an Olympics held 60 years ago, worthy of calling yourselves the sporting capital of the world? I think so. I think, I think that it's an entirely reasonable moniker to be given to Melbourne. As, as you said, there is this precinct in the general sort of Richmond area where you've got the 10th largest stadium in the world, the MCG, with a capacity of 100,000. You've got Amy Park with 30,000. You've got Rod Laver Arena, 15,000. Margaret Court, Hisense. Then just down the road, you've got Docklands as well. And you've got the O'Brien Group Arena, which is... Uh, the, the ice, the ice, ice rink, yeah. Yes. So Melbourne, it, no, it, it houses... Nine AFL teams, an NRL team, a Super Rugby team, two men's and two women's soccer teams, one netball team, one men's and two women's basketball team, two men's and one women's ice hockey team. And that is for a town, the city, that has a population of just over four million people. Well, you could just take out Melbourne and write Sydney for that because Sydney has pretty much exactly the same. Well, except they don't have the... They actually have more netball teams. They don't have the tenth largest stadium in the world. They don't. Well, they have... did it. They did at Homebush until they took the ends out. Remember that was one hundred and ten thousand oh, for the Olympics. That's right. Yeah. But the thing for me is obviously you've got no these things, but you've got your regular events that happen every year. You've got a tennis Grand Slam. There's only four of those. You've got a Formula One Grand Prix. You have the Spring Racing Carnival. But there's eighteen other places that have a Formula One Grand Prix as well. Yes, but it it adds to the. It, it's the fact that we've got the Formula One, or Melbourne has the Formula One Grand Prix, and it has the the Australian Open. It has a Boxing Day Test match, which regularly gets between sixty and seventy thousand people on day one, and up to two hundred and fifty thousand over the course of the the Test match. You've got the Spring Racing Carnival, not just one horse race, as you flippantly suggest. <laughs> the Spring Racing Carnival has had over three hundred thousand people come to Flemington across. Four race days since 2000. 101,000. Over Every year there's been more than 300,000 people for each of the past 16 years. Oh, all right. They're the same people going over and over again. 100,000 people go to the Melbourne Cup. 85 to Derby Day. 50, 55 to let me Let me stop you here. Well, those, the those, people, those people don't go to the races to watch the races. They go there to dress nicely and get boozed and see what they can do with members of the opposite sex or hang out in a marquee and try to look important. But I, I would suggest to you that people going to the Spring Carnival have very, very little interest in horse racing. But you could say that about every other sport. I, I've been to, to many sporting events where the, the sport comes second. It's, a, it's an occasion. Well, that's it's fair. Event. It's more the major events, the major sporting events, though. But I would say particularly for horse racing that that was the case. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that, uh, which is why, you know, you've got the AFL Grand Final. Every year gets 100,000 people. There's, you know, there's a... There's 80,000 suits. There's a there's a Melbourne Marathon. You've got the Herald Sun. Oh, don't start about you've got the, marathons. You've got Jeez. The, the Herald Sun. Two you you want to bring the Melbourne Marathon in with the New York City Marathon, the Boston Marathon, uh, the I, London Marathon. I'm just saying we've we've got it as well. These other countries have got it. These other cities. Chris Froome came and won the bicycle the Herald Sun tour. Melbourne had eighty thousand people go to a domestic T20 cricket game last year. Like the, the the people are completely and utterly mad for their sports. All right, well, let's look at this another way then. You've got all of these wonderful events. You've got all of these 
so-called fans going to them. Mm. When uh, I've been overseas or when I've lived in other places, I could walk into any bar and there will be about a thousand televisions showing a thousand different sports from around the world at any time of the day. If I walk into a bar in Melbourne, I have one TV or two or three TVs showing a variety of AFL games and that's about it. And it's very... it's uh, Let's take it back to the sporting culture of the place. In Melbourne... It's AFL or nothing, and you get these eventual other you get these other parties coming through. Like uh, in July, there's going to be the uh, a whole bunch of football friendlies at the MCG with uh, Tottenham and uh, oh, I can't remember the other one, Atletico Madrid, and a couple of other teams. These are just exhibition matches. Uh, any other anywhere else in the world, there's bars specifically set up to watch sports from all over the world. That's true, and. We lived in Canberra and there was a number of, of bars and clubs there that would show any number of sports. But I, I dare say there's more, there's more places in Canberra where you can go and find the sport you want to watch and sit there and watch it with like-minded people than there are in Melbourne. But you don't need to do that in Melbourne because you can actually go to the sport itself. Like you can go and watch Manchester City play Real Madrid with 99,000 of your closest friends. You can go and watch <laughs> Liverpool play Melbourne Victory with 95,000 friends. Those same 95,000 friends would have gone to the Australia versus Greece again, soccer friendly. These are, uh, these are exhibition matches, not real things. There's over 6 million people go to the AFL. What, uh, is, what does that matter overseas? Well, no, no. Well, that's the thing. There's, we've got our we've got our local sports, which bring a number of people to to the like to Melbourne to watch the sports. Then you've got the the ones that come from overseas, like yeah, your Man City and your your Real Madrid. So it shows but that they they come here because of, as mentioned before, a highly supportive government who throws money at these things to keep themselves at the top of these lists about being oh, the best sporting city in the world. And if they didn't throw money at that and those teams didn't come over here, then they wouldn't be the sporting capital because... Those teams come here and play one or two games, then they go to China and play for about three weeks or they go to Malaysia and play for about three weeks or they go to Thailand and play for about three weeks. So I don't don't think uh, just because they're here doesn't mean that something special is happening. So I guess my contention with all of this is it's not... You can't just look at single solitary events you've got to look at all of those events as one big group like you can say oh you know everyone's got uh, an f1 grand prix everyone's got the president's cup everyone's <laughs> got the you know a, a, a um to park thunderdome <laughs> but when you put all of them together and you've got this massive amount of different sports that people go to and they will watch Whatever they can, though, 90,000 people went to in 1997 to watch the Bledisloe Cup in a game that Melburnians don't understand. Well, they weren't Melburnians. Ah, but it's, it's not about Melburnians, is it? It's about Melbourne. <laughs> That's true. So, you know, hosted the well, 1956 Olympics, the 2006, oh, who cares? The 2006 Commonwealth, oh, Games. Commonwealth Games. You're kidding. <laughs> the Cricket World Cup in 1992 and 2015. Deary, deary me. This is only because there's a stadium in Melbourne that's absolutely massive. It's got nothing to do with uh, just the location. People don't go, oh, we'll take this to Melbourne. If there was an equivalent stadium anywhere else in Australia, they would take it there. They may well, but they can't. Plus, they, they can't because the Victorian government outbids everyone in a frantically misguided attempt to 
keep themselves at the oh we're the sporting capital of the world. So I think it's clear that we fix differ. your schools, <laughs> <laughs> fix your schools and your roads fix and your, your hospitals, schools. fill the potholes. So yes, I, I think it's fair to say that we differ on that. And I think it's total garbage. All right, and, and we we may have to take this to the listeners again. Yes, we 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 will put that out on social media, and feel free to be as especially our listeners who live outside of Australia. We know there's a few. We've been checking the stats. Uh, Los Angeles is that a better sporting city than Melbourne? Uh, not just events. We're talking about the culture and uh, accessibility to sport of the place as well. We will put that out, and hopefully, you can be as excitable in your defence <laughs> of, of this issue or your attack of the issue as, as we have been. Oh, need to take a breath or two here now that I've finished mopping the floor with you on that one, Andrew. <laughs> we'll let the listeners decide. Listeners will decide. And if you have any other issue of the week's issues of the, issue of the week, let's do, any other topics you wish us to debate, hit us up on Twitter at ASD underscore podcast or facebook.com slash a sporting discussion. Let us know and let us know what you think as well because we'll toss that in as well. Now, Andrew, we're going to try a new section here uh, for the podcast and it's called Massive Overreactions. Now, do you want to give us a massive overreaction for this week? I will, I will. There has been a little bit of talk in the media about this and I don't think that there has been enough talk directed in the right direction. The <laughs> preach, Hawthorne, preach. Come on. The Hawthorne Football Club has been dudded at their chance at history by Andrew Demetriou and his little plaything GWS. Andrew Demetriou has hated Hawthorne since they delisted him to end his mediocre VFL career. <laughs> GWS was set up to succeed as quick as possible and Andrew Demetriou, he saw after the 2008 grand final that Hawthorne was embarking on an era of dominance like they had in the 1980s. He saw one way to stop it, create a monster. So he has and now Hawthorne's chance at four in a row is gone shattered broken and GWS are going to go on to win the next 15 flags in a row I'm Andrew Donison and that's my massive overreaction oh my word what a massive overreaction I had to toss a bucket of water over him his steam was coming out of his ears ladies and gentlemen I'm all right now. I feel... You sure? Feel better? In through the nose, out through the mouth. No, I'm good. I'm good. Well, look, that's the purpose of the new section. You know, I I think it worked. (laughs) I think so. Folks, if you you find yourself having a massive overreaction to something that happened during the Australian Sporting Week, hit us up on at ASD underscore podcast or facebook.com slash a sporting discussion. Let us know what you are massively overreacting about. And that is it for episode 11 of A Sporting Discussion. Thanks for listening. Uh, Remember to tell your friends to subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, Give us a rating as well because we want to be in that top 150. Top of the pops at Christmas. I'll I'll take 149th. All right. Yeah, take that, darts. (laughs) Anyway, listen to us on the Wooshka app or online at Wooshka. They're our lovely hosts who host all, who hold all of our audio there. You can also get us on the Stitcher Tune in radio or Podbean. Um, 
don't forget, Andrew Donison is on 3RRFM Melbourne 102.7 Monday mornings at 7.15 as the sports guy with the quite a wacky introduction music they've given you now. Yes, I'm actually trying to get the Warwick Kappa hit I Only Take What's oh. Mine as the replacement <laughs> introduction. I'll see how that goes. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, man, I've got to focus now. I love that song. Right, so that's 102.7. On your FM dial in Melbourne. If you're not in Melbourne, use TuneIn Radio or your radio or your online streaming uh, arrangements there. Don't forget, get in touch with us on our social medias at ASD underscore podcast, facebook.com slash a sporting discussion. We do reply, don't worry. Tweets or comments are signed off with either AJ for myself, AJ Mithen, or AD for himself, Andrew Donison. Thanks again for listening, and we will be back next week. Bye.